the scripture reading this morning is going to be out of Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 23. It's going to start in 14, 8 through 23. That's the first missionary journey. And then after we get done reading that, we're going to flip over to chapter 16 and go through verses 1 through 5. I'll read the first part, and then we'll go to the second part. So verse 8, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their, gar their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Now we'll flip over to verse 16, or chapter 16. We'll read 1 through 5. This is the second missionary journey. Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in the numbers daily. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Appreciate Jake. He read some scripture for us. That scripture is our background text. He read those accounts of Paul on his first missionary journey going to Lystra as he performed a miracle. The people of that city, the pagan idolaters, tried to make more of Paul and Barnabas than they should. What we didn't read is shortly after that, they drug Paul out of the city and stoned him and left him for dead. But we see on his second missionary journey, he traveled through that same town and he picked up a, a young man, a young believer named Timothy. We're beginning a new study this week. I'm excited about this study. We'll study through the pastoral epistles starting with 1 Timothy, want to remind you of a couple of things before we get started that, uh, about our church family. Um, Mr. Glenn Fleming is uh, undergoing chemotherapy, and he was with us this week. He was with us Wednesday night. 
Um, he started his chemo on Tuesday, had it Wednesday and Thursday. We'll be praying for him as he endures the effects of chemotherapy. Uh, also, Miss Fran Delashment, she's in the hospital at uh, Jackson General. Um, she's got congestive heart failure, a lot of fluid, and so she has some complications of that, not doing well. Uh, so we need to be praying for those, and we have others as well. But want to ask you to remember those in prayer. I went to a doctor months ago, an allergy doctor, and I began to talk with him. He had a great bedside manner, asked me what I did for a living, those kind of things. And so I told him I was a pastor. He said he was a Christian, and so I began to ask him about his faith. And he told me that he grew up in the church in Antioch. Now, for us, we think about Antioch. We think about Antioch Baptist Church over here on Mumford Gilted Road, but that wasn't what the uh, doctor was talking about. He actually grew up in the church in Antioch, the church that's in modern-day Turkey. And I thought, wow. And he was proud of that, right? He was really proud of that he had come. He had that heritage, and, and I would be as well. And I just began to think about what it would be like to grow up in that church and have that heritage I, in the church of Antioch. I mean, Christians, they're first called Christians at Antioch. Pretty big deal, right? This is the church that, that sent out Paul and Barnabas on the missionary journeys, right? And they would report back to that church about their efforts and what the Lord was doing. What would it be like to, to grow up in that church? And, and then it, what would it be like to grow up in a church that Paul started? That would be kind of cool too, right? In Lystra and Derby and Ephesus, that would be kind of neat, growing up in a church that the Apostle Paul began but that is what we're getting a description of here in 1 Timothy. We're going to see the descriptions of what a church should be like. We'll study through these pastoral epistles. And they're not letters written to churches, but to these three leaders, 1 and 2 Timothy and then Titus. And in the strictest sense, Timothy and Titus weren't serving as pastors of these churches, but more as like official missionary delegates of Paul that was sent out to assist the churches in, in, in their, you know, the churches he had planted, assisting them in their policies and their polity and just setting up the church and getting it organized. But although they're written to individuals, obviously uh, it was intended to be read by the church. If you look at the last verse of the, the letter, chapter 6, verse 21, Verse 20 and 21, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And then look, notice the last little phrase there, grace be with you. And that you is not a singular pronoun, it's a plural pronoun. So very clearly, it's written, this letter is written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, to an individual. But it's meant to be read, not just by this individual, but to the church at large. And of course, it has application for us today. But Timothy had been a teenager in, in a home. Um, he grew up in a, a home with a pagan Gentile father, but he had a Jewish mother living there in Lystra in what is now uh, southern Turkey. His mother and grandmother had taught him the scriptures, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So he was, grew up in a religious home with Jewish influence, 
grandmother and mother that knew the scriptures, taught him the scriptures as a child. But he didn't know that Jesus was the promised Messiah until a rabbi came to town named Paul on his first missionary journey. Paul had healed the man, as Jake read that text for us, and then a mob drug him out and stoned him. Astonishingly, Paul gets up after being stoned, went back into the city, and then the next day he left. But on his way back home, after that first missionary journey, on his way back home, he bravely entered the city again to encourage those who have believed. And he said then, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He proved that, didn't he? He was stoned and left for dead. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, most likely, Timothy was converted during that first, that first missionary experience, that first um, sharing of the gospel by Paul to those living in Lystra. And, and most likely, his mother and his grandmother were converted this time, too. And by the time of Paul's second missionary journey, some two to five years later, Timothy had grown in the Lord, and he was highly thought of by the people of the church in Lystra. Paul came through town again, and this time he invited Timothy, this young, growing believer, to join him in his itinerant ministry. Because his father was Greek, his mother was a Jew, he was considered a Jew by Jewish law, and so Paul had him circumcised. And Timothy would have been uh, a young man in his early 20s. Paul was probably about 50 at this time. For about the next 18 years until Paul was beheaded by Nero, Timothy served with Paul. He was a devoted son. He was Paul's personal representative to churches on several occasions, to the Thessalonians, to the Corinthians, to the church at Philippi. And of the 10 epistles Paul wrote, Paul included Timothy as co-author of six. First and second Thessalonians, second Corinthians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. So it's a pretty big deal. Timothy had a pretty big role to play in these missionary journeys in Paul's ministry. He writes these letters, and Timothy is the co-author on six out of the ten. He wrote 13 altogether, right? Three there are pastoral epistles. Other than the pastoral epistles, there's ten. Six out of ten, Timothy is penned as co-writing, or co-writing those. And I like Danny Aiken. He's outlined the book. I'm, we're going to put that up for you. And so I think we'll use this outline. I'm a big outline guy. Every time we start a book, I, I would, if I were you, I would write the outline on the top of the, uh, of the, the first chapter, the first page of the, of the book in your Bible. I think it's really, really helpful. We see an introduction. We'll see today. Warning against heresy. Um, there's a lot of false teaching going on. So Paul's going to instruct Timothy on how to identify that and how to deal with that. Chapter 2, um, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 13, the organization of the church, how the church is going to be organized, the administration of the church, chapter 3 through 6, and then the conclusion. So what we're going to do today in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, is just see today how Paul understood uh, this letter. He's an apostle writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We'll also look at the person of Paul, who is Paul. We'll look at the person of Timothy, who is Timothy, and then we'll see about uh, what's the basis of their relationship. We'll look at that today as an introduction. Then next week, chapters through, uh, 1, verse 3 through 20, Paul's going to warn against this heresy, against false teaching, against non-biblical matters being taught in the church. He wants to put a fence around the church. 
in a way to protect the church. And, and we see this specific warning in the, in the last conversation Paul had with the Ephesian elders. Timothy is in Ephesus. They came through Ephesus on uh, after Paul was released from prison. He had written his prison epistles. Timothy was with him there in Rome. He had been released, and so they make their way to Ephesus. Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus to, to deal with the church there and help the church as he goes on to Macedonia, which is Philippi and Thessalonica. But on his last conversation in Acts chapter 20, verse 25 through 31, this is what, this is what Paul said to these Ephesian pastors. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And that, was, that brought about tears because he had been there for several years ministering in Ephesus. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, from the church, from within the church, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul warns about bogus teachers, false teachers. And every, the thing that he warned about is actually what happened in the church in Ephesus. Paul is going to instruct Timothy in this letter about false teachers and the problem they were having there in Ephesus. So Paul warns against bogus teachers. And then Paul mentions himself in chapter uh, 1, verse 3 through 20, and how he came to faith. I mean, he was a Pharisee, and what did he do? He persecuted the church. He opposed Christ until Christ revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. It's interesting how Paul mentioned those false teachers. And um, Paul was, at that time, as a lost Pharisee, he was as bogus as they, they, they came. The third part of the outline, the organization of the church, chapter 2 uh, through 3, what are the men's roles and women's roles in the church? And that's, that's, a, that's a pretty important question to answer, isn't it? That's a popular topic a hotbed issue within the church even today. What about pastors? What about elders? Who can do that? Who can pastor a church? Can anybody pastor? What about deacons? What's the, what's the qualifications for a deacon to serve in that role in the church? So a lot of these uh, questions are going to be answered. And then chapter 3, verse 14 through uh, the end of chapter 6, we see the administra administration of the church. And this, this section contains the theme verse of the book, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is a church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul wants to come, but he says, if I don't get there, I want you to know how you're to handle yourselves, how the church is to be run. Timothy, I want you to know how you're to set up leaders. Set up organization, the church polity. I want you to know how to handle all these things. And, of course, there's a conclusion, chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. So good questions are answered here in chapter uh, 1 through 6 of, of 1 Timothy. Who can pastor a church? What is a deacon? How is a church to be organized? What is a woman's role in the church? Can she pastor? 
How do we identify false teachers? These are all important questions that we'll answer. So this letter, it's an empowering letter from Paul, uh, the elder, to uh, this father-like figure to Timothy, Paul's son in the faith. He wants him to remain in Ephesus. And he wants him to, as chapter 1, verse 18 says, fight the good fight. Wage the good warfare, as the ESV translates that. But NIV says, fight the good fight. So look at chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. We're just going to look at these first two verses just by way of introduction. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The first thing we see is that this is God's word that we should submit to. This is God's word that we should submit to. Paul says he's an apostle. An apostle is a, a sent out one, a delegate, an ambassador, a commissioner. But he's not self-appointed. Notice it says that he, he's an apostle of Christ by the command of God. He didn't become an apostle because he knew the right people. He knew somebody to pull some strings. He didn't become an apostle because he worked his way up the ladder. He's an apostle because God wanted him to be an apostle. God made him an apostle and gave him a job to do. And so Paul has authority. The apostles had authority. Again, he's not self-appointed. He's not church-appointed either. He's appointed by God. He's a man of authority. But he's also a man under authority, isn't he? And he writes this letter under the inspiration of God himself. And we need to recognize that Paul is God's representative writing authoritative words of God. I mean, think about the apostles. What are the qualifications for being an apostle? Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. This is Judas after he's betrayed the Lord. He's hung himself. He's killed himself. Peter speaks to the believers in Jerusalem. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. What's Peter doing? He's saying we need to replace Judas. So who can do that? Well, it has to be somebody who's seen the Lord Jesus, right? Somebody who's accompanying us all during this time and somebody who's seen the resurrected Jesus. If you remember, Matthias was chosen by Lot. It wasn't chosen by the apostles. It wasn't chosen by the church, but by Lot, God appointed him. But it's interesting, Paul, unlike the other apostles, they, he didn't accompany Jesus during his earthly ministry, nor did he see the resurrected Lord before the ascension. But Paul did have a personal encounter with Jesus. Do you remember? Paul says, I'm an, an apostle abnormally born. He had this personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9. The former persecutor of the church was appointed to the ministry by Jesus himself as the last of the apostles. So Paul's writing this letter. He's an apostle. He writes with authority. So he's not just giving some friendly advice to a friend. Paul is writing the very words of God to his child in the faith, Timothy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 tells us a little bit about how Paul viewed his writings. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, 
which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Paul had an understanding of his apostolic authority, that he's pinning words that are inspired. They are powerful. In fact, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the theme verse, verse 14 and 15, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So I'm giving you instruction on how to set up the church. He recognized this is important. These are authoritative words. And, and I'm not saying that everything that Paul said was inerrant. That's not true. Everything that Paul wrote was not inerrant. But he did understand that he's writing some of these letters, some of these words, some of these instructions. There are words of God. We know that not everything the apostle said was authoritative. We see that in Galatians chapter 2. Paul, remember, Paul rebukes Peter. Peter was kind of fickle. He was a, a Jew. And this whole idea of Gentiles coming to faith, not having to be proselytes, not having to become Jewish before they become Christian, that was, a, that was kind of hard for, for Peter. And he embraced the Jews until the elders from Jerusalem came, and then he separated himself, right, for fear of what the the Jewish leaders would think. So Paul rebukes them. So these men, they're not inerrant, but these men did have authority. And when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing the infallible words of God. Therefore, the fundamental reason Timothy, the church at Ephesus, and everyone else since needs to submit to this letter is because it was breathed out by God. Okay? And there are books written about the church. I have so many. You look at my, um, my office, there's bookshelves full of books and many of them are written by godly men who are faithful men of God writing about the church and how the church we should handle the church and how we should shepherd the church and those those books many of them have been really helpful to me and they've inspired me but they're not inspired they're not God inspired right but first Timothy is a God inspired God breathed authoritative word given not only to Timothy but it's to be addressed to the, the church in Ephesus, but also to the church at large. So may God use this study of this book to empower, to convict us, and to equip us to be the church that we should be here at Beaver. So 1 Timothy is God's word that we should submit to. The second thing we want us to see is the Apostle Paul and his son in the faith, Timothy, and their intimate bond. Let's just look at Paul. Who's the Apostle Paul? We know a lot about him. And Paul went through a lot of difficulty. I've already... Um, mentioned his confrontation with the Stone Throwers Association, right, of Lystra. And um, let's read this. let me read this to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, 24 through 28. He endured a lot. He endured a lot of suffering for his, um, as a result of his ministry. I mean, you think about it. I heard one pastor say this this week. He said, um, you know, you go to these uh, job fairs. You know, sometimes they do it at high schools. Those, do y'all do that at... Munford, Brighton, Covenant, they have job fairs there at the, the schools. They still do that? Nobody's, nobody's shaking their head. They don't know. Everybody homeschooled. Everybody's homeschooled at Beaver, I guess. Um, there's, uh, they have job fairs. You know, you have somebody, you know, you want to be a, a nurse. You know, you want to be an EMT. Do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to be a, a welder, Carson? Um, you know, they have all these jobs that you can look into, and they give you, hey, this is what you have to do. But, you know, no one 
no one's over there signing up to be an apostle or to be a, uh, a missionary, right, to a uh, closed country, right? You're going to be poor. You're going to suffer much. You're possibly die along with all your, your, your family who you love dearly. No one's lined up those tables to sign up for that job, right? But that's what Paul, he was given this job by the Lord. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. He, he says this about his suffering. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's in Lystra. We already talked about that. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. You get the picture. It's a dangerous job to be an apostle, right? Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You're not signing up a comfy job, right, to be an apostle. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That last struggle there is probably the more intense than all the others combined, right? Just his heart and his struggle for the the churches that he was planning. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see the focus in leadership. It begins with Peter, and then it, it, it shifts focus to Paul. And Luke describes Paul's three missionary journeys. We see this authority of Paul, the influence of this great apostle. And it's often said that like CEOs, people that are in administration, people are um, running companies or, or, or even pastors who are overseeing churches, said it's it's often lonely at the top. It's often lonely at the top. Being a leader, being the head of some organization, head of some institution, oftentimes is a lonely place to be. And we see glimpses of this in Paul's second imprisonment. As I said, Paul was in prison in Rome where he wrote his prison epistles. He's released from prison. He and Timothy travel Paul drops off Timothy in Ephesus, and he goes on to Macedonia. But eventually, Paul is imprisoned again, right before he's executed. And during the second imprisonment, he writes 2 Timothy, his last will and testament, to his son in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Do your best to come to me soon. He's writing this, Paul's writing this to Timothy. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to... Dalmatia. And you see this little bit of loneliness in, in Paul. But Paul wasn't lonely for the same reason many leaders in the churches today or maybe leaders of companies today are, are lonely. Why is it, it, do we say executive CEOs, heads of institutions are, it's, are lonely? It's lonely at the top. Well, it could be for several different reasons. I mean, think about that. Some leaders are not very approachable. They stand aloof from the people they lead so they aren't close with anybody. And that happens, and that's a fault. For some, it's because of those that, they, that work under them. Uh, they maybe put them on pedestals, give them too much credit, right? So they're not willing to approach leaders. And some leaders are just too busy, maybe with administrative matters, and they don't schedule enough time to spend with people that they lead. And it could be pastors, it could be CEOs. But you don't see that with Paul. 
Paul's this spiritual giant. But he wasn't separated from those he led. He didn't see himself as above anyone else. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, This is how one should regard us, not as somebody who has all the authority, not a big wig, right? Not the Pope. No. They should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. See, Paul had this relational connectedness with his people, with those in his churches that he was starting, with those disciples, the men he was mentoring and teaching and leading. I mean, he's the most influential spiritual leader of the early church, but yet he didn't let his authority and his weighty influence keep him from being close to those he's ministering to. Paul pursued relationships. In fact, we don't have time now, but if you look at Romans chapter 16, I was sharing this with Brian earlier this morning. It was something I, I read and studied this week. Paul had never been to Rome, and he's writing this letter to the believers in Rome, those he knew there. And then if you look at chapter 16, following verse 1, he lists names. Hey, why don't you greet so-and-so? Tell so-and-so hello. That's what he means when he says greet so-and-so. Tell so-and-so hello. Tell so-and-so ask about them. He lists 24 people, not just 24 people, but sometimes he would mention, hey, so-and-so and, and their household, everybody in their household. He mentions 24 names, people that he knew that lived in Rome that were believers that he wanted the church to let them know, hey, I'm asking about you. I'm concerned about you. I hope you're doing well. Paul is very relational. He's a leader with great influence pursuing relationships. And he had this wonderful father-son relationship with Timothy. What about Timothy? Timothy was a young man when Paul addressed this letter to him. And we know that because in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Don't let anyone look down on you on account of your youth. Some two years later, he urges him, flee the evil desires of youth in 2 Timothy 2, 22. So he's, he's a young man. How old was he? Well, it seems unlikely that he would have invited Timothy to join him before he had reached you know, late teens, early 20s. And so about 13, 14 years later, he would be in his mid-30s. He's a young man, doesn't have a whole lot of experience. And he seemed to be on the shy side. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. For God gave us the spirit of, not of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Maybe a little bit on the timid side. Not like Paul, right? Paul wasn't on the timid side, right? He was type A. Tell it like it is. Could be abrasive at times. Timothy was, seemed to be a, a little... Shy, a little timid. And he had some health problems in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. He was sickly. Under the weather, easily prone to health problems. He's not like Paul. He's a more fragile, a little more hesitant. Like many of us, probably. Right? Yeah. Like Judah, like some of us, brother, just a little timid, maybe not extra special, kind of, kind of ordinary. Yeah, that's why you see Timothy. But notice it's, it says that he writes this to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Timothy was true means sincere, the real deal. Not type A, probably not real charismatic, 
the real deal. When I, when I lived overseas, I was, we moved to a, a, the second city, and um, we didn't know a, a believer in the city. 800,000 people, we didn't know a Christian there, and our job was to share the gospel. You know, we're, we're brought there to share the gospel and to love people and train people. And I didn't know a, a Christian, and I began to, we began to share the gospel. Just, we call it just broad seed scattering, just sharing the gospel with many people as we can. And then we'd find people who were interested, and we'd, we'd study with them. And there was a colleague that I'd been sharing with and talking about Christ with, and he wasn't a believer. But he says, hey, I need to introduce you to so-and-so. And this is what he said. He was an English teacher and he was speaking English. He's a real Christian. I was kind of like, well, what do you know about unreal Christians, you know? He's a real Christian. You know what? That joker was right. I spent, he introduced me to this other colleague of ours. I spent seven years of my life pouring into him. And he is the real deal. He loves Jesus. He's willing to suffer. In fact, the first time he was called in by the police, I was felt terrible because he was being called in probably because of his affiliation with us. And I said, man, I'm so sorry. And I said, why? I said, well, you're going through all this trouble. He says, yeah, that's what the Bible teaches us. If we follow Jesus, we'll suffer because Christ suffered. And I go, yeah, you're right. That's what the Bible does teach. And that's what you're teaching me. He's the real deal. Timothy, a true child, the real deal Timothy was used by the Lord and he loved Paul and he loved Paul's calls in his second letter to Timothy right before he was put to death this is what he wrote in chapter 1 verse 4 2 Timothy recalling your tears I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy this is kind of his Last will and testament. He's, he knows he's going to be executed soon. And what does he want? He don't want to hear about his accomplishments. He, he didn't want his, his, his diplomas brought to him, right? He didn't want to see his bank account or his portfolio. He wants to, what does he want? He wants his son in the faith, the man he's poured his life into to come so he could have joy. Yeah, they had this sweet relationship. Paul had a, a, a deep love for Timothy. I, I think the best description of their relationship is seen in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. I know we're, we're bouncing all over Paul's letters, but what I'm trying to do is, is just kind of paint a picture of who Paul is, who Timothy is, and what their relationship is like. So moving forward, we can better understand this letter. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it get, will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Pretty good description, I think pretty clear there. He was... Paul was, um, he could trust Timothy. Timothy had been faithful. He had been faithful. They, they had this intimate bond. They were tight. 
in the church, who, who are you tight with? Who are you close with in the church? Do you have relationships like this? You know, we we're created for relationships. You know that? That's why we're created, so we can have relationships within the church. He saves us. We're born again so we can have relationships within the church. Paul needed Timothy. Timothy needed Paul. You know, we can't, we can't love people at arm's length, you know, at arm's distance. You know, we can't love people that way. We need community. Tony Merida, he says, we're made for relationships, not accomplishments. I love living in the South. I lived in, in other parts of the world, uh, other parts of the country. Um, I've worked with people from the North, from the South. I just love the South. I love the Southern hospitality. I love the slower pace of life. I love, the, I love being called sweetie by people I've never seen before. Uh, I love that. Um, yeah, I do. I just, I really love that Southern hospitality. You know what's happening even here in the Bible Belt in Tipton County? We build a lot of fences in our backyards. We're getting more and more privatized. Think about some of you older folks. I don't know what older folks mean. I'm just saying older folks. When you were being raised up, how many of your neighbors did you know? Every one of you that I'm looking at out here that's got some gray hair, you knew all of your neighbors. Every one of them. I knew everybody up and down my street for half a mile. How many neighbors you know now? Coming more and more privatized. We put up fences. Oh, we're connected. We're connected. I got a 567 friends on whatever, whatever app I'm using. Don't know them a lick. Don't care for them either. Really. We're losing our connectedness. We live in a digitized community. But we're becoming more and more isolated, more and more lonely. We even want to do church in isolation. Man, I ain't got to get up and come to church. I can watch it on Facebook. And, man, it's awesome. These guys in the back, man, I love y'all. It's great. It's super. We have shut-ins who can't get out or not going to get out, and they watching our service. We have people now that are traveling. They're driving to and fro because of Fourth of July, and they're listening to our service. When we travel on vacation, we tune in. We listen live to our service, and it's awesome. If that's the best you can do, that's the best you can do. But that's not true community I said this several weeks ago we, we're kind of getting where we want a decapitated Jesus we say, I want Jesus but I don't really want the church so what you're doing you're taking the head away from the body you can't do that the head and the body come together Paul and Timothy they had this intimate bond they Long for community. They love one another. Promoting this 
family atmosphere in churches, and they're good examples for, for us. They did life together, and we should have relationships like that. And it takes work. So, well, you know, I just don't like crowds. I just don't like, I, I hear that so much. People I love and I, some of these older folks, I don't like to be around crowds. Heaven's going to be crowded. There's a lot of people going to be in glory. And, and I recognize this. So for some of you, it's, it's, maybe you've been through it a lot, maybe bad church experience, blah, blah. I understand all that. And some of you, it's hard. I'm, not an, I'm an introvert, I'm not an extrovert, and it's just hard. I get it. But what I'm saying here today is all of us, we need to work towards being in community together. And what I mean by that is not just Sunday morning, and I'm glad people are here, and we got, we'll always have a group of people that just come Sunday morning for worship, and we don't see them any other time. Some of you, your schedule doesn't allow it. I, I get that. But what we want to do is we want to have community. We want to live life together. And that just doesn't happen on Sunday mornings. That's why if, if you go through membership dinner and want to be a part of our church, we'll, we'll tell you, and I'll never introduce you to the church. I'll never recommend you be a part of our church if you just come just Sunday morning. No, we need to be involved in other things, small group and Wednesday night and, and those kind of things because that's where we can kind of build relationships, right? We see this bond Paul and Timothy have as we look not just in 1 Timothy, but all throughout his letters, how they were connected. They loved each other, promoting community, family atmosphere, living life together all throughout these churches that they're planning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Think about Paul. He, he was rescued on the way to Damascus. Timothy was rescued, most likely, the first time Paul went to Lystra on his first missionary journey. They were saved. They were changed so they could do what? They could accomplish all that God had for them. Paul was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Timothy was to be a, Paul's helper, right-hand man, to be an example, a leader there in Ephesus. You ever think about that? Why is it that once we're born again, why, did, why does God leave us here on earth? Why don't God just take us to glory? We had a baptism, right? James, last week we baptized him. Why didn't we just take old James under there and just hold him under? <laughs> well, God saves us to do his work, Right? He wants us to be like Timothy, true, a true child in the faith. He wants us to be involved in relationships in the church, and he wants us to accomplish much. Notice what it says here to Timothy. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a triad of blessings. We see this only one other time in 2 Timothy 1-2. Grace, mercy, and peace, they're lumped together there. But Timothy needed all of these. And we, we also need all of these, don't we? Donald Guthrie, in his commentary on these pastoral epistles, he quotes J.H. Bernhard, and, and Bernhard writes, Even grace won't give peace to man unless mercy accompany it. 
For man needs pardon for the past, no less than strength for the future. So we need grace and mercy and peace. Yeah, we need those things. Because being all that God wants us to be, being a part of community, living life together, we need grace, we need mercy, we need peace. Because it's hard doing church together, isn't it? It's hard because we all have different personalities and we all have different sin problems. It's hard doing church together. So we need that. We need grace and mercy and peace. Do you have that? We need it, don't we? We need to pray that we would receive grace and mercy and peace from God. In closing, I love this this description Paul gives of, and I know sometimes the greetings and the letters, you just kind of just kind of zip on through that, get to the good stuff, and I, I get it. This is introductory material. We're going to get into good stuff. Pick up in chapter three next next week, but but I just by way of application, maybe to say First Timothy is authoritative, right? And we need to submit to this teaching, and we need to obey it. And in some of this teaching, you know, we're, we're going to talk about women's roles, and you know, sometimes women going to get all, you know might get a little riled up about that. And there'll be some difficult texts for us, but I mean, think about the Bible. If we didn't need to be corrected, if we had it all together, we would need the Bible anyway, right? That's what the Bible, that's what the Bible does. We read the Bible and it instructs us and it corrects us and encourages us, but it rebukes us. That's just what we do. We read the Bible, study the scriptures, submit to it. Yes, yeah, hard for us sometimes. Now, I, I want to feel good about myself, I'll read the Bible. Ah. Read the Bible, you're going to be disciplined probably. You read it enough, right? Of course. But we need to submit to it. First Timothy is authoritative. We need to submit to it. And it's going to be good for us individually, but also as a church. So I want to encourage you, by way of application, just as introductory comments, we've said this before, but read through First Timothy. 15 minutes. If you read average, average speed. About 15 minutes you can read through the book. I'd encourage you to read through it several times. Get a feel for the book. Bring a notebook, because we're going to be talking through this. Bring a notebook and take notes. You say, why should I take notes? Well, because um, most of it are, aren't auditory learners. Some are. Usually it's people that are pretty intelligent, really intelligent. And you may be that you. The eye can hear it and just write it down. It's so good. Um, I, would, I would encourage you to take notes because it, it helps you, I think. But, but also, one reason you ought to take notes is because you need to be a good steward of your time. I mean, we spent 40, 45 minutes here, and you're not going to remember this stuff in six months. But if you write it down, you keep a notebook, and you put First Timothy on the front of it, and you have a place in your room or your office where you can store that, then the next time you study First Timothy, you can pull it out and have these notes. It'll be really helpful. It'll save you a lot of time. So you should take notes unless you can remember everything you hear. And not very many people can do that. We don't take notes because it'll help you. Because we're about learning. And, and, and if you're a believer, you're about teaching. So you ought to be able to have this information you can teach somebody else later. But I think thirdly, by way of application, that 
I think we need to pursue relationships within the church so we can accomplish all that God wants us to be. He created us to be relational. So well, I just don't like being around a lot of people. I get it, and I understand that. But we need to be, have those relationships with people. And it may not be with everybody. You're not one to say, man, I'm going to know everybody in the church and know what's going on in their lives. No, but there, there's a few that you need to have that relationship with. There's a few that you can build relationships with. That's why we have small groups. So we have them Sunday morning. We have them Sunday night. If you want to be involved in a small group, we'd love for you to be involved in a small group. And for some of you, you've been, been spending time with us as a church and trying to figure out where you need to be and plant roots. And you need to be kind of moving towards getting involved in a small group because that's how you're going to get to know people. And if you, you've got questions about that, talk to me. I'd love to tell you. We, 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 we want to start more small groups in time, right? Some Sunday morning, some Sunday night or a different night of the week. But you need to get involved in that. I encourage you to pursue relationships. That's what we're created to do is have relationships. But lastly, I, I, I think if we're, we need to be faithful and we need to be um, mindful of maybe there's some here that have yet to repent and trust Christ. And he, the description, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Maybe you're here and you have no hope. And if you've, you're not born again, if you're separated from the Lord, you have none. You're going to die and go to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. And that's, that's right. And that's a good thing for God to do is, is put you in hell because that's what you deserve. Because that's what we all deserve. But Jesus took on flesh 2,000 years ago, and he walked this earth. He didn't walk it like we do. He walked it perfectly, obediently. Submitted to the Father every day, all day, all night, every day of his life. Because of that, he could die to make atonement for sinners. He died for sinners. The Father poured out his wrath upon him on the cross. Jesus dies physically. He's buried. On the third day, he rises from the dead for our justification. So that sinners, like us could be redeemed and forgiven and reconciled to the Father. Maybe you're here and you don't have hope. Maybe you're lost. Maybe you're separated from the Father. Maybe you're going to hell. God wants to give you hope. You can have that hope if you repent and believe the gospel. Turn from living for yourself and being selfish and self-absorbed. Say, God, I want to obey you and give you glory. I want to obey you. I trust that Jesus did die. I know Jesus died. He died not just for the sins of the world, but he died for me. And he was buried and he rose on the third day for me so I could be justified. I'm trusting that Jesus did that for me. Forgive me. Save me, Lord. I want to live for you. I want to obey you. If you're lost, you need to repent and you need to trust the Lord. I'm excited about 1 Timothy. I'm excited about what we're going to learn. I'm excited about it as a church. We're going to be a better church when we finish this book. This book is a handbook. It's a blueprint for how to do church. And so what we'll be able to see, we'll, we'll, we're going to be encouraged because we're saying, we're doing a lot of things right. But there may be some things we need to tweak and we need to change. We need to adjust in our lives individually, but as a church, as a whole. So I'm pretty excited about that. So let's be prayerful about that. We'll come back next week and we'll start in verse... Three. Okay? I'm going to pray and we're going to be dismissed.
remind you, no prayer and chair, no Wednesday night study this week. Um, and we're going to have a small group get together next Sunday night. So prepare to, to be here. It's great. If you know some people that's been visiting, we don't have a whole lot. We have a few today. We don't have a whole lot of, of visitors, but some of that's been visiting church, you might want to reach out to them and encourage them to come next Sunday night. It'll be a great time to rub elbows, get to know us a little better. So let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. You, there are veggies, squash, zucchini, cucumbers over there in the Family Life Center. Everybody that eats those things, get them, because we got a bunch of them. Okay, and we're going to have more tomorrow. So let's pray. Father, we acknowledge your grace by giving us your word, allowing us to be here today. It's grace because we want to be in church. Of all the things we could be doing today, we as a congregation, so many of us have come today, and then there's many listening via Facebook, and you've given us the grace and you've given us the desire to be here, to want to learn and want to be in fellowship with other people. And those that are driving or on vacation, they're, they're sitting around their living room or in a boat or in a car, or they're listening because they love you and they love their church. Thank you for just doing that in us. I'm thankful for the visitor that you brought here this week. And Pray that you would use what we've studied, the, the songs, the sweet, sweet music that we sing, the true songs. Father, may we sing those throughout the week. May you use those to encourage us, remind us of your goodness. And may the two verses we've studied be uh, helpful this week for us, your church. Father, we, we do want to be a biblical church. We want to We want to give you glory by how we do church, and we would ask you would help us use this study to mold us individually, but as a church as well. Help us submit to your word. Father, help us as a congregation to, to do better about pursuing relationships and spending time with people, not being so isolated and privatized. Father, help us to get out of our comfort zone and, and love people well. We need your grace to do that, Father, because we're real selfish and we like to be comfortable. Father, help us to give up our time and our money and our energy to be able to love people well. Do a work in us. Give us grace this week. And for, for all those that are traveling and, and out of town, we just ask that you would help them. Give them travel mercies and, and bring them safely back. Father, for Mr. Glenn, we pray for him that you would bless him. Help him, Lord, as he struggles with the effects of this chemotherapy. And we just pray that you would lessen that. And mostly, Father, that, we, that he would trust you through his suffering. Father, for Miss Fran Delashman, we just pray for her, that, Lord, she would trust you today, that she wouldn't be anxious in her, um, in her weakened state, but, Lord, she would persevere in her faith. Father, we pray for those doctors and nurses that are caring for her, that you give them wisdom. For Miss Cindy and for her sisters, the rest of the family, we just pray for grace for them. Give her a lot of grace today and help her. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.